Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Hey, everybody. Happy Tuesday to you. Welcome to another pastoral conversation right here at the bridge. I am excited to to jump into this again. It was kind of fun the first time we did it, so I'm excited to do it again here. But before we even begin, I just want to take a second and say thank you to those who have served in our military on our behalf. Yesterday was Memorial Day, the day where we honor our fallen troops who have given their life so that we could be free. And so on a, such a special day, I know there's a bunch of other things that go on. I want to just take a second to just say thank you. Thank you to family members. Thank you to friends. Thank you to military, both previous and current. Thank you to those of you who have stood beside somebody or stood with somebody as they stepped forward to say, I am going to serve our country and serve it well, even if that means I have to serve it with my life. So I just want to say thank you on, on a Memorial Day weekend. I know there's a bunch of other things going on. I just want to start this pastoral conversation with just a belated thank you to all of those who have served our country faithfully. We appreciate you and we thank you. But it is a Tuesday and it is a pastoral conversation day. Uh, and so I am excited to jump in here with you. Uh, full disclosure, uh, last weekend we had a wonderful service outdoors. It was so cool. We had so many people here. We had 28 people get baptized. It was such a powerful and cool weekend. So everything you see on stage, all the sound equipment went outside to make sure we could have that outdoor service. And this week we put it all back together. And when I put it back together, I put something back together wrong which is why we didn't have a great stream yesterday, and so or on Sunday, I'm sorry. So full disclosure, it was my fault, I own it, uh, but I'm kind of excited because I kind of love this pastoral conversation uh, framework, and so thank you guys for being patient as we get this thing uh, rocking and rolling again back here indoors. But if I keep saying again, if you're new, maybe you missed uh, what happened. Uh, about a month ago, I did something called a pastoral conversation where I took my notes from Sunday, a sermon that I preached, uh, but I kind of broke it down in a different way. I communicated it in a different uh, capacity as if we were having a conversation in my office, having a conversation in your living room. It's a little less preachy and a little more teachy uh, and just kind of explaining uh conversationally what my sermon was all about. And so I'm excited to jump right back into it uh, today because it truly was a fun service on Sunday. But it's summertime. It's uh, I'm wearing shorts here, which uh, it feels a little weird to be on stage, but I'm wearing shorts. It's summertime. I think a lot of us are probably even at the lake this weekend. Summer is almost completely in full swing. And summertime, at least to me, when I think of summer, I think of sunscreen, uh, hanging out at the lake, wakeboarding, skiing, fishing, you know, spending time with friends, all of our favorite things. The lake truly is the epitome of what summer means to me. And so we talked about yesterday, or I'm sorry, I keep saying yesterday as if it was just yesterday, but it was actually on Sunday. I'm sorry. On Sunday here at the bridge, we talked about Jesus at the lake. You know, it's one of those things we don't always picture Jesus next to 
the lake or uh, we probably don't picture Jesus, you know, wakeboarding behind a boat, uh, mainly because they didn't exist back then. But I digress. My point is we don't think of Jesus and the lake kind of going in tandem. But in reality, Jesus actually spent a lot of time next to the lake. You might be thinking, what in the world? I don't read that in the Bible. It's probably because if you read in the Bible, you hear of Jesus next to the Sea of Galilee. And at least to me, when I think of sea, I think of an ocean, I think of salt water, I think of a big body of water. But a lot of times in Scripture, in the Bible, we see Jesus is next to this body of water known as the Sea of Galilee. That sea is actually truly a freshwater Lake, which is why in some translations you might read it as the Lake of Gennesaret. Same thing, Sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret, the same body of water. It's actually a body of water I've been to. When I was in Israel in 2017, we actually went to the Sea of Galilee. I swam in it. It was just like any other lake. It's fresh water, it's warm, it's nice, it's awesome. And Jesus spent a ton of time next to this lake. Jesus was a Nazarene, meaning he was from Nazareth, but in his adult life, early on in his ministry, he lived in in the town of Capernaum. He spent a lot of time in Capernaum, which is in this area known as Galilee. Again, right? Sea of Galilee. Galilee is the area. The sea or the lake is is kind of the body of water that centers around it. So let me break it down for you this way, for those of you who maybe are familiar with Minnesota geography. If you go up into the Brainerd Lakes area, you hear that a lot, Brainerd Lakes area. That could mean Brainerd, that could mean Baxter, that could mean Crosby, that could mean Nisswa, Cross Lake. There's all these little towns in this area around Brainerd, and there's lakes all over the place. When we read about the area known as Galilee in Scripture, it's the same kind of thing. It's one kind of comprehensive idea of of this is where this area is. And the epicenter, the main thing that kind of draws everything is the lake. Galilee is this area of all kind of different towns all surrounding this lake known as the Sea of Galilee. And so let me break it down for you this way. I want to talk about the lake for a second. The lake is 13 miles long by 8 miles wide. Now, For some of you, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I can picture that. For me, I'm kind of like, that means nothing to me. (laughs) I've actually been there. I've seen it, but I still cannot comprehend what that really looks like. And so that those dimensions make it about 64 square miles. And again, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. So let me compare it this way. Lake Malax, a lake I think all of us are somewhat acquainted with. Malax Lake is 207 square miles. So the Sea of Galilee is about a third of the size of Lake Malax. Lake Winnie, Lake Winnebogosh, way up north, right? That's about 88 square miles, so a little bit bigger than the Sea of Galilee. But if you want a direct comparison, if you know this lake, Lake Vermilion is 61 square miles, which is almost exactly the size of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the difference is the Sea of Galilee is in Israel, in the Middle East, and so it is different, but it's the same kind of concept. Now, the Sea of Galilee is actually in a valley, 680 feet below sea level. 
The Mediterranean is at sea level, so the Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below that elevation-wise. What's also really interesting is the Sea of Galilee is in this bowl, basically. So there's mountains all the way around it, and it's in this valley. So a little bit of foreshadowing, but because of the geography around this lake, weather can come out of nowhere, and it becomes very, very hostile very, very fast. You probably didn't come here for a geography lesson. You probably didn't come here, you know, for just the ins and the outs of the Sea of Galilee. But the reason I'm diving into this is because for the next few weeks here at the bridge, we're going to be in a sermon series called Jesus at the Lake. Because you're going to find, everybody, that Jesus himself, a lot of the notable events, a lot of the miracles, a lot of the things that he did was around the lake. This was the epicenter of human life in Israel at this time. And the reason is, is because the Sea of Galilee was a place of work. It was a commercial place of work. If you were to drive to downtown Minneapolis right now, there'd be construction everywhere. Work zones, buildings going up. There'd be construction crews all over the place because they're working on stuff. Same kind of thing here in Galilee. Fishing on the Sea of Galilee was a notable, notable source of income where a lot of people made their living from catching the fish and selling them in the market. Very synonymous with any harbor in Maine. It's a busy place, a lot of people. As a matter of fact, some commentators when looking at you know some ancient writings around the time that the Bible was written, they estimate there's about 3 million people in this area known as Galilee. So Jesus went to where the people were. That's where the action was. That's where he wanted to be. And so I want to take a look into this life, this this way of life, this where Jesus spent time at the lake, because a lot of times we hear these stories, but we don't necessarily have time to delve into them. But I want to. Because when we look at these stories through a magnifying glass, there are so many intricate details that are relevant to your life, and to mine. Things that Jesus did and said that applied to them back then that apply to us almost even more so now. So let's look at them. Let's take a peek at them. And I want to start where it kind of begins in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 specifically. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, the lake, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers, or I'm sorry, I will send you out to fish for people. Another translation says, I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Now this same story, you can kind of see throughout the four different Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a little bit of a twist to each one of them, but they're, it's because they're written from different vantage points. But this one here in Matthew, I, you kind of heard me stumble over it here. Jesus says, hey, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's a wordplay. They're fishermen. They quite literally are professional fishermen. That's how they get their income. So these two brothers named Simon, who's later called Peter, and Andrew, They are fishing. 
They're casting their nets into the water. And Jesus walks next to the lake, calls out to them and says, hey, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You're fishermen, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. Kind of had a different life plan for them. And you saw in Matthew chapter 4, you heard at once they left their nets and they followed him. Now you might read that and you kind of go, yeah, they're disciples. That makes sense. They just love God a whole lot. And they did. But think about that. Peter was married. He had a wife to go home to. And here he was, this man named Jesus was walking up next to the lake. And they just dropped their nets and follow him. Yes, the Jesus or Peter got to go back home. Yes, he got to do the, you know, see his wife. And it wasn't like he just dropped off the face of the planet. But this is a whole career change, a whole way of life that was changing. Yet they did it. Then you read later in Matthew chapter 4, just a few verses later, almost the exact same encounter happens with another set of brothers named James and John. Same thing. They're fishing with their father named Zebedee. Great name, by the way. And Jesus walks up to them and says, hey, come follow me. And at once they dropped their nets and they followed him. Now, what's really interesting is they're fishing with their dad. They're helping him. They're assisting him. And in this day and age, your connection with your parents was critical. Like, even to the point, the only time you were legally separated from your parents is when you got married. And even so, after you got married, what they did in this day and age is they, the, the family unit, if it was, you know, a mom, dad, and their kids, as they progressed, as the kids got older, they would actually build onto their house so that when their sons got married, they and their wife could come back and live in that same house in a different room to be next to each other. Imagine sharing your living space with your in-laws. It's a different way of life, but my point is for them to just drop what they were doing, drop the family business, and follow Jesus was a really, really big deal. It was a huge deal. And this language that Jesus uses of follow me was something he used all throughout calling of the 12 disciples. In John chapter 1, before he even went to Galilee and talked to Simon and Andrew, he went up to this man named Philip and said, hey, come follow me. Later in Matthew chapter 9, when there's this man named Matthew, also known as Levi, he's a tax collector. He was loaded. He, he had all of the income in the world. Jesus goes up to him and says, hey, come follow me. Leave your current way of life and come follow me. The language is consistent. And what's wild to me is that same message is relevant to you and I today. On Sunday, I talked about there's this buzzword in our culture right now or this concept that is all over the place. As a matter of fact, when I typed it into Google, I got three different articles as the top searches from Forbes magazine the New York Times, and Oprah Winfrey, all around this same topic. The topic is your life calling. What is it in your life that you are meant 
to do? What is it that God wants you to do? Because it's not just the secular world. It's in the church too. A lot of times we hear, I'm called to ministry. I'm called to be a pastor. Or I'm called to the mission field. I'm called to go to Morocco. I'm called to go to Russia. I'm called to go to Tanzania. I'm called. Or I'm called to be a Christian businessman. I'm called to be a doctor. I'm called to be a teacher. You get the point. We hear, I'm called to, and then we put something in there. And what's interesting is a lot of time it's tied to something that we do, right? A profession or a title. I'm called to be a stay-at-home mom. I'm called to be a husband. I'm called to be a dad. I'm called to be a grandpa. Whatever it is, it's tied to something. Here's the problem with that. When our life calling is tied to something, we rise and fall by the success of that. On Sunday, I told the story about how last Friday, it was a holiday weekend. It was literally Friday afternoon, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I wanted to pick up my kids from daycare because my wife had to work late. And so I wanted to give my kids just a great, great night. I wanted to be the dad of the year as the holiday weekend kicked off. And so we got their favorite snacks. We got their favorite drinks. It was going to be such a super, super fun night. And so we got home. We dropped all of that. And my kids said, Dad, can we go outside? Absolutely. We can totally go outside. And so I let them drive around in their side-by-side razor on the the electric version so it's safe. And they went for a bike ride, and they ran around with bubbles. They were having the time of their life. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I am the dad of the year tonight. At the same time, I got laundry going. So when my wife comes home, uh, there's no chores left to be done. I was like, I'm crushing this dad and husband thing right now. It's awesome. And then stuff hit the fan, okay? Like literally two hours later, we come back inside because the kids are just exhausted. They need dinner. And so I walk inside and, you know, everyone's a little cranky because we're overtired and we've been eating candy instead of a good dinner, all this stuff, right? (laughs) Like the stuff that, oops, yeah, maybe shouldn't have done that. We walk inside. And my house is 80 degrees. My air conditioning unit is blowing warm air, which is a problem on a hot Memorial Day weekend when there's going to be no one else out there to fix it. So as I am doing that, I go downstairs and I start taking apart my air conditioning unit, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. As I'm doing that upstairs, the kids are melting down. Like my son Ellis, he's, he's screaming because he's hungry and he needs something. As I hear them screaming upstairs, I hear my dog just down the hallway who is throwing up profusely because he ate some, some bad grass. And so he's, I can literally hear him in the process of convulsing. It's like, oh my gosh, uh, he's okay, uh, but that's happening. As that goes on, my air conditioning unit is starting to leak water now and there's stuff all over the place. My potty training two-year-old walks downstairs stands at the gate where I am in my laundry room and she goes I have to go pee and as I hear that I look down and I see a puddle of urine being put down right in the feet there it was crazy it was chaos and literally two hours before that life was great I was feeling great as a dad I was feeling like I've got this under control I'm awesome 
And two hours later, I felt like I'm going to pull my hair out because things are so crazy right now. That's parenthood, right? But jokes aside and real life aside, my point is if we start to tie our life calling into something that we do or something that we are, we will inevitably rise and fall with the success of that venture. Case in point, if you're called to be a Christian businessman, that's awesome. That's super awesome. I'm so thankful that you are shining light in the business world. I'm so thankful that you're using your God-given talents in business to contribute to our world. I'm so thankful for that. And that's an amazing thing that undoubtedly God wants you to do. But my point is, is if you are called to be a Christian businessman, when business is bad, you're going to start to question everything about yourself. Am I cut out for this? Am I really even a businessman at all? Am I, am I, am, did I get God wrong? Is God even real? What is happening right now? We start to question all of these things. Because our calling is tied into something that we do. My whole point from Sunday, the thing that I drove home for the next 20 minutes, and I'm probably going to try and condense here much shorter for you guys because it's a pastoral conversation, is our calling is not something that we do. Our calling is something that we're supposed to be. Jesus said, hey, come follow me. The Greek language for follow me, I'm not going to try to pronounce it because it's a little obscure. But what Jesus is basically saying is, I want you to follow me and absorb everything that I teach, everything that I say, everything that I do. And here's where I'm going with this. The Greek word for follow me, that Greek phrase, it really could be translated into meaning imitate me. When he looked at his disciples and said, hey, come follow me, what he's essentially asking them is I want you to quite literally follow me, listen to me, observe what I am doing, but I want you to imitate me. Imitate. Whatever I do, do. And that's a noble, noble request. Because Jesus, as you'll learn, as you'll read in this wonderful book known as the Bible, Jesus took the high road even when it hurt. Jesus went before us and did things on our behalf that were uncomfortable, that were tough. But he did it because he loved us. And he's calling his 12 disciples to follow in his footsteps. Can I give you a little spoiler? That's your calling. That same request is of yours and mine today. Come, follow me, imitate me. Your calling in life, your neighbor's calling, my calling, your daughter's calling, your son's calling. Everybody you see, our calling is universally the same. And the calling is, to follow Christ. Yep, he's going to use you. Yep, you're going to go and do fantastic things. Guess what? These disciples followed Jesus. That was their calling, but they also did fantastic things on his behalf. But the point is, their calling in life was to imitate him above everything else. That calling 
is what inspired every single action that Jesus called them to do. Will you imitate me? Will you follow me? Will you listen to what I'm doing and asking you to do? And I want to kind of show you this. This is the last scripture I have for you guys today in this pastoral conversation. It's actually in Luke chapter 5. Again, like I said, each of these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, four first, the first four books in the New Testament, they're all both the same story. They're diff- written from different perspectives. Kind of like if we went to a hockey game and I sat in the front row in, at center ice and you sat top row at the corner, we'd be watching the same game. But we'd see different things because of our vantage point. Same kind of thing here. Experts kind of go back and forth if this is the same event that we talked about in Matthew chapter 4, or if it's later, which is what I think it is. But it's very interesting. I want you to read this here. Luke chapter 5. Maybe you open it up to right now or put me on pause, but open up your Bible to Luke chapter 5 and look at what this says. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, again, same body of water, Sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret, same body of water. It's a lake. With people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, also known as Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I'm going to pause there for a second. Jesus is at the lake. And he's got crowds of people around him. This is before the day and age of microphones and PA systems. So I want you to picture, I'm sitting here on stage. Imagine at five foot eight, I'm standing on level ground. And I'm trying to talk to a crowd of people. If you're standing in the back of the sanctuary with no PA system, unless I'm yelling at the top of the lung, my lungs, you could not hear me talk because there'd be 10 layers of people that my voice has to go through. Jesus has this group of people that are listening to him and wanting to hear what they're saying, but they can't hear him. So he looks over and he sees two boats on the shore. So very smartly, very intelligently, Jesus gets into one of the boats, just happens to be the boat that is owned by Simon, one of the disciples he calls, and he pushes out into the water. So now his voice can carry across the water to all the people. It's really smart. But here's where the story gets interesting. Verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking to the crowd, he said to Simon, Hey, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Here's why I love this sermon series. There's some very subtle things a part of that story that have a lot of significance to the story and to you and I. While Jesus is preaching, you notice that they were washing their nets. Remember, they were commercial fishermen. We think of fishing with a a pole casting out into the water and reeling in, but they were commercial fishermen. So They had these big, heavy nets they would throw over the side of their boats. 
And then after they let them sink and fish would go in there, they'd have to poof, fistful by fistful, this wet, heavy net back into their boat and bring it in, hoof it back in all night long. And as you heard from Simon, that particular night, they caught nothing. So they're back on shore and they're washing their nets. You might read over that and just skip right over that. But what's really interesting to the story is this is a part of the process for fishing in this day and age. Because these nets weren't synthetic rope like we have now. Now we have braided fishing line that's synthetic. You know, the water wicks away, nothing gets in there, no mold, no algae, no nothing. They didn't have that back then. They just had rope. And what happens when you get bacteria and algae and stuff from the water in a rope? It molds, right? It rots. It gets nasty. It's expensive to replace. It's tiresome. It's a whole process. So these fishermen would have to come back after fishing all night in hoofing wet nets and, you know, wash them with clean water to get all of that gunk out so that their nets won't rot. Talk about monotonous. Talk about tiring after a whole night of fishing. So here Jesus is. Simon and Andrew, these brothers, have been fishing all night with no luck. Probably grumpy. Probably cranky because, again, they're fishermen, commercially. So when you catch no fish, you just worked all night for free. Because you got no money, you got no fish to sell. And then you just come back to shore and wash your nets. And after all of this, Jesus says, hey, Simon, jump in. We're going to go fishing. So you can kind of hear Simon's rebuttal. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the net. What a, what, a, what a heart that Simon has right here. Because if it were me, I'd be tired. I'd be exhausted. And undoubtedly, they were too. But Simon says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Jesus was a carpenter's son. They didn't know a whole lot about fishing, historically. Peter was a fisherman. He knew when to go out. He knew where to go out. And at this time of day, he probably knew this was a terrible time to go fishing. But you see his heart. Master, we've been fishing. We've worked hard all night and have not caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Let me finish with this end of the story right here. Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken in. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. What a cool story. Here they are fishing all night. They catch nothing. And as Jesus says, hey, just humor me. Go out into the water. They catch such a big catch that they can't possibly muster it into the boat because they have so many fish. 
The point of my sermon, everybody, on Sunday, the point that I'm going to leave with you today here is your calling in life is to follow Christ. That's it. It seems simple, and it is. It's simple. Follow Christ. It's not easy, but it's simple. Everything we do, every good work, every good act, every venture, every dream, everything we do with our life has to come back to this heart right here. Will we follow Christ? You'll notice here that Peter called, or I'm sorry, Simon or Peter, same person, said master. The Greek word for master is epistata. That word epistata means commander, boss, or leader. Peter, Simon, was saying, hey, you, sir, are the person that I am following. You are the person that is my leader. You are my boss. You are the person that I am following with every ounce of my life. That is the heart that I believe we need in this day and age. Will we choose to follow Christ even when it doesn't make sense? Even when logic goes in and says the opposite. I know God's calling me to step into this and go and start this business that's been on my heart, but the economy's bad right now. I don't have enough staff. Uh, I don't, we don't have enough life savings, all the kind of things. Will you choose to follow him through all of that? I know it doesn't make sense right now that I, I need to go and reconcile this relationship. They had, have done me wrong. They messed up. They don't deserve my forgiveness. But because you say so, Jesus, I will go and seek that out. I know I maybe it doesn't make sense to pray for this one more time because I've been praying for it for months and years, and it's not happening, but I'm going to choose to follow you. I'm going to choose to pray for this, believing God that you're going to do it again. I know it doesn't make sense to do that. I know it doesn't make sense to do that, but because you say so. I will do it. Church, I can't tell you how many times in this this life of mine, this life where I have been following Christ, where I've I've, I've kind of been, you know, going through life and I've been following him and, and trying to do everything he calls me to do. There are times still when he calls me to do something that scares the daylights out of me. That makes my stomach churn a little bit because it seems so daunting and so scary. But I come back to this story. Because you say so, I will do it. And I can't tell you how many times I have been staring at this dream, this thing that seems ambiguous, this this thing that seems so big and so difficult. Yet when I step foot into it and I go after it because I know God's calling me to it, it's so fun to look back and look at all of the amazing things that have happened as I stepped into it in following and trusting Christ. Yeah, sometimes it seems like I heard wrong. Sometimes it feels like, did I get this wrong? Did I hear wrong? Is God even in this right now? Because the results aren't there. But I can't tell you how many times and how faithfully every single time I have followed Jesus into what he's called me to do, it works out. Not always the way that I thought it would, but it works out. And so the message I have for you today 
is will you choose to follow Christ? Will you choose to imitate Christ? The Christ who forgives first instead of seeks revenge. The Christ who fights for people when it's not easy. The Christ who steps into new experiences with faith, knowing it's going to work out. The Christ who loves people, cares for people, and follows God. That is the man that we're called to imitate and follow. And so very practically in this pastoral conversation, what does it look like for you this week? How will you choose to follow him? Maybe you have been putting off going to an AA meeting for so long because you don't want to do it. You're scared about it, but it's time. And this is God saying, hey, let's go. Let's do it. Maybe it's counseling. Maybe it's therapy. Maybe it's marriage counseling. Maybe instead of, even though it's difficult, I don't want to make any light of any of these decisions. I know they're challenging. I know it's going to go against every fiber in your being. But if you follow Christ and do the thing he's calling you to do, he's going to be smack dab in the middle of it with you, going before you, blazing a trail, coming behind you, pushing you forward, and on each side of you as you walk through this journey of life. What is it this week? Maybe you've been putting off getting into this work so you don't feel adequate, you don't feel good enough. You might even have to ask a question of, Derek, how do I do this? I want to read this book. I want to learn how to pray. I want to come to church. Whatever it is, what are you going to do this week to follow Christ? I know for me personally this week, my prayer is going to be, God, would you show me what I'm supposed to do each and every day? Would you bring people into my life that I can share your light with? I want to follow you, Jesus. That's my challenge for you this week. How will you choose to follow Christ? We're so excited for this series because there's so much each of these stories that I can't wait to unpack. This has been a podcast of the Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.